This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, I'm Troy Dean from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me from my hometown of Melbourne, Collis Taid. Hey, Collis, how are you? Yo, good. Excellent. Cool. And you're in Melbourne now, right? Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Not only are we in the same time zone, but we're actually in the same city, which is very rare. Except we're not in actually the same location. (laughs) In fact, you're just just down the hall in another office, aren't you? Uh, uh, For those of you that don't know, Collis is CEO of Envato, which we're going to talk about a little more in a moment. But before we get there, a quick competition. We're going to give away a $50 voucher for the Envato Marketplace, so you can spend that on ThemeForest or Code Canyon or uh, whatever your heart desires. Stick around for details on how to enter that competition a little bit later on in interview. Hey, Collis, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, writer or a historian. I was kind of weirdly fascinated by like World War One and World War II. Um, and so I would veer between these two things. Depressingly, neither of them happened. I, I write blog posts, I guess. <laughs> and and when, when, did, when, did you discover, when did you discover the web and, and, and realize that this was something that you wanted to spend more time doing? Yeah, um, so uh, 1996 would be when I first got online, which makes me sound from a long time ago. <laughs> Hotmail, I had a Hotmail email address. I was one of the first like 50,000 users. I was like, wow, 50,000 people on Hotmail. <laughs> of course, it's like a drop in the ocean these days. Um, but it wasn't for some years. I went and studied math and comp sci, and um, as part of computer science, we had to do a little bit of um, web stuff uh, using PHP. Um, and it was only around like 2000, 2001. I got a job at an internet cafe um, for a little while, and I used to like read about um, dot-com era stuff happening out there and um, got kind of excited. But it's, even then, it still took me more years to actually really get into it. But it was around that time I, I reckon I started thinking, this sounds pretty awesome. I did sort of think with the dot-com crash, though, that all the opportunities were over. And, like, those good days were gone. <laughs> but that turned out to be wrong, thankfully. <laughs> yes, which, you, which we're going to talk about a little, bit, a little bit later. But you have proven that the dot-com crash <laughs> was, not, was not the end of... Uh, not the end of the gold rush. Uh, when did you discover WordPress? Did you, do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Two thousand six. So we launched the um, we launched Flashed in our first marketplace, and um, at that time I wanted to put every feature under the sun into it. And our dev at the time um, was like, "You want to have a competitions section? This is like, why are you just get a blog and then you can put your competitions there." Um, and so I decided to find out how you made these blog things um, and discover WordPress and then fell in love with it. Wow. So you were using WordPress internally for the Flashden blog? So um, that's right. So just for, the, for our Flashden blog in 2006 was um, WordPress. I, I started my own personal blog, North by East. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, I started freelance switch and just started getting more and more into it. Um, Dreamhost, I'm pretty sure, is where I first set up my very first one-click install. I was like, wow, that was easy. And it was around Christmas. So I must have been bored at home. (laughs) (laughs) Registering new domain names. Oh, we've all been there. Um, yes, we have. Okay, so today, as as um, CEO of Invato, is that right? Is that CEO? Right. Uh, how do you describe what you do in one sentence? What's when someone when you meet someone for the first time and they say, "What do you do, Collis? How do you describe that?" Mostly email and spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the reality. The the one sentence description would be more like leading the company. Um, Somehow, it's leading the company seems to translate to email and spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so, what, what about Invado's pitch? Like, what, what, what do people say? Well, what does Invado do? Yeah, so um, we describe ourselves as a creative ecosystem. So our, um, our sites and services we view as like a, a natural ecosystem, sort of fitting together different pieces. Um, the biggest portion of which is our marketplaces. Obviously, some WordPress themes is probably the what's most famous with your audience, but. Um, we also sell all kinds of things, After Effects and whatnot. Um, our marketplaces, we've got a new product called Microlancer, which is the sort of freelance space. And then um, we teach lots on Tux, which is that kind of education piece. They all kind of 
mesh together. Um, it's pretty hard for my mum to understand, but <laughs> in the space, it kind of makes sense, a creative ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of our parents understand what we do at all. And, um, I'm short-selling my mum. She's, I'm sure, at home going, I know what you do. Yeah. <laughs> You invent the internet. Um, <laughs> so you've answered my next question. What do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Email and spreadsheets? <laughs> yes, pretty much. Um, yeah, lots of comms. The weird thing is the bigger the company gets, the more time I spend on communicating things. Um, and lots of checking up on stuff. But with, with 200 staff increasingly, you know, there's, um, we have all hands meetings every couple of weeks, which is um, you, know, you kind of get up and give a little bit of a talk about what's happening in this part of the business or that part of the business. Lots of meetings. Um, definitely the work has changed over the years. In the early years, it was a lot more product-related, design, development, actually building stuff. And in the mid-years, it got more about marketing and starting to build little teams. And um, these days, I seem to find myself, yeah, communicating a lot. <laughs> Sounds very airy-fairy. I haven't started using the word synergy yet, so I'm sure I'm okay. <laughs> Any day now, it'll be PowerPoint and synergy. Yeah, right. <laughs> And uh, do you, do you ha- like, how do you know, um, I'm just throwing the script in the bin here now, um, how do you know, um, do you have, do you have like mentors or people that like you look to that, that help you become a CEO? Because like, I mean, you didn't go to CEO school, right? You just started this thing in your in-laws garage, which we'll talk about in a moment. Like, do you get to a point where you went, hmm, I don't really know what I'm doing anymore. I need some guidance here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I, I take the approach that um, anyone that I can sponge information out of, I will sponge information out of. So over the years I've had, like I found a, um, a HR coach to teach me about how people management works. Um, I'd never worked in a place which had more than a few staff. So things like um, performance reviews are a really important part of managing people. I've never had a performance review. So that was like a, I learned the word KPI in an interview one day when someone I was interviewing was like, so what are the KPIs for this position? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> this word means nothing to me. Um, so yeah, I think there's a, 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 you have to kind of take that approach of like trying to sponge information. So I had a HR coach. I found a guy who was like a management consultant and at um, McKinsey, which is one of the big, mm. big firms. And um, in his spare time, he would explain things like, this is how an org structure is supposed to work. Um, my dad has helped a lot. So my dad used to be a CEO um, of a tech company. So not, not unrelated, that's helped a lot as well. Yeah. Um, and some of it, I think, is just being in the trenches. Nothing like getting shot a few times. Yeah. <laughs> um, near shot yeah. um, to, to learn stuff like, oh, so, you know, this is this kind of stuff is important. So at the moment I was saying that um, comms is a big part of my day. Um, that only really, like, that sank in because uh, the staff started saying, you know, um, these days now there's so many people, you don't know what's going on, and, like, suddenly realizing, oh, that's important. Um, another way that uh, I guess learning about being a CEO is... Um, uh, whenever I interview people for jobs, I, I usually use that as an opportunity to be like, great, I'm sitting with an expert on some sort of topic, whatever it is, law, HR, finance. I'm just going to ask them all kinds of stuff about, like, how does this work? And it's an interview, so it kind of makes sense. Right. <laughs> yeah. So and, so, think, and so at that point, they think you know the answers and, and you're yes, testing them. Right. In actual fact, you're just like, I'm going to get some free consulting out of all these interviewees. And you're interviewing, like, multiple people from the same industry, right? Because you've got a few candidates, so you can compare answers, find the common threads. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're also genuinely, like, as a, um, as I guess a first-time CEO, I need people who are able to communicate things in a, um, a real manner, so, like, not too much jargon and whatnot. So that is actually a skill I'm assessing. It just happens that I'm also learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night? Oh, one thing, people problems probably. Um, I, I um, like even we've got a pretty happy company. I reckon a pretty happy office, but um, inevitably uh, there's like 200 staff now, and inevitably in 200 people, you know, even if uh, each person only has a problem once a year, that's <laughs> most of the days of the year. There's some big problem happening, um, and so you know, I find that stuff a bit stressful. Um, I find that more stressful than thinking about. I don't know, the future or what have you. The, um, 
for a while there used to be uh, this type of stuff that would keep me up was more around performance of the website or like, you know, if the site fell down overnight, that was just terrifying. As the company's gotten bigger, there's more and more responsibilities around the company to look after these things, mm. security attacks and stuff. Uh, but people problems never change. Small management, big management, it's, uh, it's an, a bit inevitable, I think. Um, you know, little conflicts or um, not understanding each other, all those kinds of things. Mm. Yeah. Do you it makes it sound like I've got all these people problems. We've got a very nice team here. <laughs> yeah, but as you say, I mean, 200 staff is a lot of staff to... Do you, do you ever kind of have a nightmare where you wake up and they've all gone home and just left it all up to you? <laughs> so on the day we launched Theme Forest... Um, for some reason, everyone was away that day. Right. Like, not literally away, but um, had gone off lunch or whatnot. And I did find myself writing to all the beta testers all by myself in this room. <laughs> pretty sure this is the biggest product launch we have this year. <laughs> what am I doing by myself? Uh. But no, no. Uh, uh, happily, they haven't all deserted. It's definitely in the early years, though. It's funny you say that. In the early years, I did used to often freak out that... Um, I think it's like this. Uh, it's a common thing to to think you're a, a fraud of some sort, and I used to often be like, oh, sooner or later they'll all realize I'm not a real CEO, and then they'll be like, I'm going to go to a real company now. <laughs> it's taken a long time to realize, no, this is, I guess, a real company now. Yeah, that's re- so refreshing to hear. Um, <laughs> it is because I was at Pressnomics last weekend, and uh, there was this. You know, Chris Lemmer gave a presentation and spoke about the imposter syndrome, which is ah, yes. really common amongst, particularly amongst creative freelancers. I find the imposter syndrome really common. So it's really good to hear someone who's kind of elevated, <laughs> elevated to the top of the ladder and still kind of feels like, well, you know, maybe one day I'm going to wake up and it's all going to be gone. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah. That's good to know. Um, what do you do when you're not working? Uh, I've got a two-year-old, so uh, that pretty much sucks up <laughs> the rest of my life. Um, yeah. And another one on the way, so uh, I'm told it gets it's as it's as much different from zero to one child as it is from one to two. Wow. Um, that's my big brother who likes to torment me, who tells me this. So right. hopefully that's not quite um, quite what I'm in for. But yeah, so that, that that's uh, probably the biggest thing. I spend a lot of time thinking about work. Um, to get away from it, I find I have to go on a vacation. Otherwise, I'm, you just never quite escape. You know, when you're a business owner, right? Yeah. Freelance, there's freelance or a company. You never quite leave your job. Yeah. I think that's one thing they don't tell you when you decide to go out on your own is that, yeah, um, yeah you don't have a boss per se, but <laughs> <laughs> you get something else, which is like a never-ending work problem. Yeah. You don't have a boss, but you also now don't have a life either because your <laughs> work is your life. Um, everyone, I've, everyone I've asked that question, what do you do when you're not working? Everyone who's got kids just looks at me and says, you don't have kids, do you? And I'm like, <laughs> no, not yet. Like, if you had kids, you wouldn't ask that question. You would know. Uh, um, now, how does your faith, so your, your Baha'i, is that right? Is that, yeah, is that right? So you're quite open about your Baha'i faith. And I'm interested how your faith informs your work or how it influences your work. Yeah, sure. So I think that probably the main way is um, we have very strong values in the company. We've, I think we published them now on Invoto.com. You can sort of see there's um, we have values about community, um, putting the community first, making sure it's a win-win, um, being very fair, very transparent. Um, and I think a lot of those things come from, I mean, they come from around the company. Like we generally hire on these values. But for me personally, they come from personal beliefs that um, – uh, biz- even in business, like there's, like, I don't know, in, in popular media, there's like a conception that being a business guy is like being a bad guy, <laughs> and like there's money involved and whatnot. I suppose I'm of the belief that you can have very strong values and still be in business, um, and I think that comes from being a Baha'i. We have a uh, as a faith, there's a lot of emphasis on service to humanity, truthfulness, um, justice, and these things kind of manifest themselves in Envoto values as um, making sure the community succeeds, making sure we're, like, we tell it like it is and that we give everyone a fair go. Um, and I think they're related. They're fundamental, I think, 
principles of life to, mm. to live by. And um, so far, so good. We've managed to run the company this way. Um, yeah. We don't seem to have fallen over, so it seems it is possible. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> it's, um, it's, there's a couple of things I want to touch on here. First of all, the, the values thing, I know that that wasn't in place from day one. So at what point did you decide, okay, we have enough of a community here, we have enough of a tribe here that we've built of employees that we need to... We need to work out what our values are and we need to make sure we're all on the same page. When did that happen? Um, that was probably around year four. So, I mean, like, obviously, from the very beginning, you kind of have things you value. Yeah. Uh, I suppose unless you're just a super amoral, but even then you might value whatever it is. But there's things you're valuing. And then um, there's definitely, as we've grown, it became more and more clear that we needed to think about culture and think about um, how we were doing things. Like, what... At the point where we went from, say, maybe 20 people onwards, it started becoming this, um, uh, you're having people you've hired are hiring people, and um, you can make sure that you're still bringing in people who share those values and things. And um, at a certain point past that, it became clear that in order to do that really well, we need to codify them. Um, in the last two years, we've grown a lot. So like in the last 18 months, we went from 30 staff here in Melbourne to 110 and um, overseas is something similar and, and that sort of scale of growth um, not only are you worrying about how to make sure that culture and values stick around but um, you know sometimes you're having you're hiring a person who's hiring a person who's hiring and, they, and they're all coming at the same time and so um, it's it's almost uh, it's not even about um, wanting to make sure that hey make sure you look for people who are truthful it's also just make sure people realize that that's actually important and that's worth stopping, putting brakes on things. Like if you think something is not fair, we should stop it. Whereas in some companies, that's not necessarily the case or what have you. And so you want to embed that stuff in and codifying it is the way to do it at scale. Mm. But I think you can certainly have values from day one. And I think business books may tell you to do that. I just haven't read enough of them, I think. Yeah, they do. And we only did it recently. I mean, we're a very, very small team, but we did it recently and it definitely helped us communicate and make decisions because your decisions are then informed by your common values. Yes, that's right. So before we made them, I never used to understand why you needed them. It sounded like a really big corporate thing to do. Um, but actually, once you establish, hey, these things are important to us, you can, as you say, like use them as a decision-making tool. And then it's really interesting. As it turns out, there's lots of um, decisions which are moral decisions in business. Like even stuff like I remember years and years ago, uh, we were pretty small at that time and our accounting firm was giving us something to do with tax and they are like, oh, just backdate it and it'll appear in that year and whatnot. And it's like, well, but it didn't happen in that year. Why would we, that doesn't, that doesn't fit with our tell it like it is value. And even though it would like make whatever financial year look better, I don't even remember the exact scenario, it just didn't fit. So I totally agree. It doesn't matter what size in that fact, it's good to have that decision-making tool. Mm. The, re the other reason I wanted to ask you about how your faith informs your work is because, and I don't want to get into the details here, but we all know that there is, you know, drama in the WordPress space and particularly amongst the GPL and Invado, and that's all been very well publicly documented so people can go and read that in their own time. But the one thing that really occurred to me throughout that whole thread was the way that you responded and the way that you handled yourself in those blog comments and in that forum uh, thread. And it was, for me, it was a breath of fresh air. It was... And I thought, you know, there's someone here who's just not, doesn't matter how you might emotionally be feeling about it, there's someone here who's got a level head, who is exercising some leadership, who's prepared to stand by what they believe in, and is able to do that without getting emotional about it. And it was, without blowing too much smoke, it was remarkable to, to witness, and it was wow. inspiring to witness. And I, oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Made so, my day, that'll make the rest of the day much more pleasant. <laughs> I'll just record this little piece and <laughs> mount it on my wall and like pizza. <laughs> no, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I suppose it's, a lot of that stuff goes back to our values and trying to think that. Like a lot of our effort inside the company is to put the community first. And um, I guess suppose one of the things that comes from that is trying to keep that in mind when you're responding to stuff and, and not get into the... It's very easy in all kinds of arguments, I think, to want to be right versus to want to put um, other people's interests 
ahead, I suppose, and um, having a, a very strong value in the company that um, it's about our community helps to detach myself. I, I try to think of it as um, it's not really my place to try to be right. It's my place to, and like, so sometimes I get to be right, sometimes I get to be wrong. The GPL one, I think, had a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Envato. Um, the started out, Flashed In was the first marketplace. Yes. And correct me if I've got any of this wrong. Um, when did the idea for selling digital goods hit you? Um, probably a year or so before that. So it was like maybe 2005 or four. At the very last day of one of my jobs, um, like literally the last day, there was an interview candidate who came out, uh, who came in there, who, um, uh, as she was leaving her job interview, so she just finished job interview, she saw that I was a designer as well and was like, have you seen iStockphoto.com? And I was like, no, what is this website? Anyhow, and I, I got onto it and discovered you could sell Flash, among other things, illustrations and things, and got really into it. Um, uh, my max earnings was like $400 a month, which was fantastic. Like that was, you know, could do all sorts of stuff. $400 a month over a year, it's like five grand, went on some holidays. Anyhow, and, and, but uh, before long I started thinking it's not really suitable for Flash. The site was all geared towards photographers. Um, couldn't help thinking, what's, wouldn't it be nice if I was getting the other side of the $400? <laughs> it's going to ISAP photo, their commission rates are, are like substantial. Um, so it was nice to... To think, what if we could get that bit? And so, um, you know, the idea that maybe we should make a marketplace that was dedicated to that particular niche of Flash. Yeah, obviously, back then, Flash was like <laughs> yeah. going strong. Yeah. Um, these days, it's uh, it's a shadow of its former self, depressingly. Um, but yeah, so that was that was some years ago now. It's kind of weird, eight years almost. Yeah, and and so you started. Flashed in before it was in Vada, You started flashed in out of your in-laws' garage, right? <laughs> yes, actually, uh, technically, we started in our house before that, um, and then we got kicked out of the house. Uh, I think the owner was um, foreclosing or, or what have you, and so um, we ended up uh, in my in my in-laws. Um, uh, my wife's dad, Sam's dad, is a photographer, so he had a kind of a big studio-ish space around his garage. Um, we were set up next to his van, uh, just near the door, which was. Saved money. Um, it was nice to see my father-in-law all the time. <laughs> but it wasn't the most amazing space. Um, but it did give us a, a nice founding story of being like, well, we're in a garage and it was a gigantic, um, like there was a, an actual hole in the floor behind one of our, our desks. And um, it was pretty, uh, pretty um, authentic. Bootstraps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so at some point quickly after that, you started publishing tutorials about how to use Photoshop and how to use, you know, Illustrator and whatever other programs, Flash. How, like, two questions. How did you know that was going to work? And I'm, I'm, I would be very surprised if there wasn't some voice of doubt in the back of your mind back then going, this is a complete waste of time, nobody's going to read them. How did you <laughs> keep that voice of doubt at bay? And just how did you keep going and publishing that content knowing that at some point it would pay off? Well, I think it's, it started very incrementally. So after um, I learned about WordPress and made my own blog, I just started publishing random stuff about um, how to how like it was about startups. Although when I look back, I really didn't know very much. <laughs> I was a bit unqualified to be giving startups. <laughs> but anyways, at one point, I published something about freelancing, and um, Sam and I had freelance, and we just kind of documented everything we knew on the subject, and it, it got very popular. And that led us to go, well, let's make a blog just about freelancing which was Freelance, which, which launched a little while later. And that then later on, um, it, so that started building up a little bit more popularity. Um, along the way, I decided to, I was going to buy a website. I was going to buy a blog, fix it up, and then sell it um, as like a bit of a case study for my personal blog. Um, like you do with houses when you get a house, you fix her up. And then, yeah. anyways, um, turned out I was terrible at that. But meanwhile, I bought psdtuts.com, which was this uh, Photoshop site. If you go to like the um, Internet Archive, you can see it back in 2006. It's super looking. <laughs> it's really, really bad. Anyhow, I mean, no discredit to the guy before me, but um, anyhow, the, uh, the, my idea of like doing it up didn't really work. And so I bought this domain name. It cost $1,400. And uh, um, Cyan had chastised me about buying things for $1,400 on the internet. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so I thought, well, at least I'll put up some of my own Photoshop tutorials. Um, and weirdly enough, in the first week it hit Dig, 
which back then was super big, you know, the social network. And um, so I suppose I, I didn't have too much option in those early days to, to doubt it because um, it seemed to just get popular. But uh, later on when it wasn't making money, because to this day it's kind of been a bit wavy on the profitability. We, we tend to just keep expanding and burning through um, any possible profits. But um, along the way we've had moments where it was a bit like, our marketplaces are like this and Tuts is like much smaller and you kind of think, well, what are we doing this for? Like, uh, especially as you get bigger, you want to concentrate and focus your efforts. Um, at those times, I think it's been nice to know that um, it's just genuinely useful. It's nice to publish free educational content. And, um, this education is really hot online. Didn't always used to be so popular. And so I think that I suppose helps. It's nice to know you're doing something that you actually believe in. Mm. I think you have a lot of doubts and you don't really fundamentally believe in your product. That's a really bad spot. But if you really genuinely think this is awesome, yeah, I have some doubts, but at least I've got the feeling of thinking it's awesome to, to tide me over. Mm. And there, I, there's something there's something about the connection between the marketplaces and the touch sites that's, um, that is that you can't measure, right? So there's I think mm. there's this credibility that that is attributed to the Invado name because you publish all this great free education stuff on the touch sure. sites that there's no way of measuring whether that's... I yeah. mean, I'm sure you can tag links and do all that kind of stuff, but it's just that inherent credibility that means people are going to buy goods from the marketplace because you guys have positioned sure. well as you know experts in that. That's true. Space. What's interesting is now that um, Tuts has been going for a long time, we've started getting occasionally um, people applying for jobs who learnt web development with NetTuts, and it's like, wow, it really works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like a, I don't know. Well, you're, what is the company mission? You want to help people learn and earn online. Yes, right? yes, so yeah. So you're you're training your future staff. You're training them up through the Tuts platform, then they come work for you. That's excellent. Um, That's forward looking. We are. <laughs> at what point did, did this ever happen? Did you ever look at Cyan as the company was growing? Did you ever look at her and go, "Wow, this is like this is something really special we've got here." Yeah, there's been, a, I think, a few times. There's a lot of, like, holy crap, this is weird. What are all these people doing at this <laughs> Every now and then, we have all hands meetings, and every now and then I'll stand in front of them and think, who are all these people? <laughs> Where did they come from? It's amazing. They show up every day. <laughs> um, yeah, I think probably the first time, though, was uh, um, maybe four months in. We had our first week where we had a thousand dollars sale in a single week. Um, so just it was like you know many flash items. Um, I think that was probably the the moment where we were like, "Holy crap, it's actually going to work!" Because we'd gone through this long phase of like, "This is going nowhere," and then we managed to launch it. And our first day sales was ten dollars, which actually when I look back, I'm like, I can't believe we made ten dollars on the first day. But at the time, it was depressing. Like, yeah, yeah. Ten dollars after six months of work. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when we hit Thousand, I guess that seemed like a thousand dollars. It's a thousand dollars, like real money. That was probably the moment, I reckon. Yeah. Wow, that must be really nice to be able to share that with not only your wife but your family, because your your dad and your brother. It's a pretty, <laughs> you know, tight group. So it must be nice to be able to share that with with the family. Yeah, it is cool. It's uh, um, in my um, my mother, little sister, little brother are all in the sort of health industry as a pharmacist, a psychologist, and a doctor. And my dad and my brother and me are all on the internet. So at home, we kind of um, war on what topic we're all going to talk about <laughs> at the dinner table and family get-togethers. I think they all think the internet's super boring. But <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, was bootstrapping always important to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, in the early days, I, I didn't really realize, like, I didn't know much about VC capital raising stuff. So some of it was circumstantial, not knowing that was a possible route. Um, I think control has always been very important to me. And, um, and that's possible, I think, when you raise capital. I don't know. I've not had much experience there. But I suppose for me, bootstrapping gave us the luxury of um, making all of our decisions. And at this size of the company, it, like the bigger you get, the more increasingly rare it is not to have external parties um, who have um, their own uh, what they're trying to get out of their investment and whatnot, uh, which may or may not mesh with what you're trying to get out of the company. So, um, in that sense, it's it's become more important the bigger we're, um, that we're still very independent, feel very um, self-directed, which is cool. Right. Also, means board meetings are very informal. Yeah. <laughs> 
maybe they are when you raise the money as well. I don't know. <laughs> I've got a couple of questions here which you've already answered. How do you hire and keep good people? I think we've talked about values. <laughs> Uh, how do you handle criticism from the WordPress community about theme forest? We've talked about the values there and we've already explored about how you handled that, so I don't want to labour that too much. But I do want to talk about Jafe. Um, how did you find Jafe and why did you decide to employ a WordPress evangelist? Because nice. I think it was a stroke of genius, but I want to... I, wanna, was, was it a I totally agree. <laughs> I like where you go with this try. <laughs> this bit will also be in my highlights reel. Look. <laughs> Uh, um, so we were very lucky with JP. He actually joined uh, one of our support teams. He was roving the world at the time and did some support work, which is how I first met him. Um, it was clear he was really into WordPress. And he pitched me, was his um, initially saying, hey, you know, I could be involved in like just your sort of community outreach. Um, and at first uh, I didn't totally get it. And I was like, you know what? Actually, we've got such a footprint in this space. And as the company's gotten bigger, I'm less and less of a evangelist. Like, I just, it's really hard to be as present in different communities. Um, I think also we had a bit of a WordPress PR problem. Like we had been becoming a bigger and bigger entity in the WordPress community without ever really engaging the sort of more traditional open source side of it. So we were very heavily in the designer end of the WordPress community, but not as much in the developer end. Not that we weren't. There's some great WordPress developers, but we weren't... Um, at events, for example, mm. bringing on evangelist helped us preach um, that helped people relate to us a bit more. I, I think I don't know for sure, but I, I think maybe we had, there was a perception that we were all about the money, and especially around those um, a lot of concern that our quality wasn't good enough. And the natural run on of that is like, well, they don't care about quality; they just care about money, which is actually not true at all. Um, not that money is unimportant. We're capitalist business and whatnot, but, um, but uh, it was about much more than that. So I, I guess bringing an evangelist was to um, help connect with the WordPress community. And I think it goes both ways because I suppose also with WordPress becoming a more and more important part of our ecosystem, it's important we have a voice internally going, WordPress, WordPress, um, just as it's good for us to be out there in the community saying, Inferno! Yeah, and I think the, the, the point that you touch on about, you know, just about the money, not about quality. That's actually not a sustainable business model long term, anyway. So no, that's right. You know, having a very strange business model. Yeah, yeah. short <laughs> short term cash grab, but not uh, not long term sustainable. There's companies out there that may use that to get service business afterwards. Yeah. Oh, it's broken. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I don't think it's a very good long term. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because otherwise they'd be like this whole plethora of WordPress consultants with, you know, the tagline, we fix dodgy Envato <laughs> themes. <laughs> Buy a theme from ThemeForest, then come, we'll fix it for you. Um, but I do want to talk about this, I do want to talk about this kind of commoditizing or this, you know, you've just launched Microlancer. Yeah. A lot of creative freelancers don't like this model. I mean, I hear it in the hallways at WordCamps all the time. Um, 99 designs, tweaky, swiftly, they all get criticized for this, you know, race to the bottom price war. What's your viewpoint on this? Um, look, I think there's, well, first of all, there's different parts of the market for different types of um, uh, offerings. So, like, I, I don't think that all freelancing is ever going to move to online marketplaces. That uh, doesn't make any sense to me. I think there's always um, offerings which are more bespoke, more based on expertise or reputation or what have you. I think online marketplaces are an important part of that ecosystem, though, especially for uh, buyers who are new to the market often or don't understand where to find somebody. Um, so I think there's that aspect of it. Race to the bottom, I suppose it depends a bit on the um, uh, financial models of different. So like um, I've always been a little bit skeptical of competition-based uh, um, marketplaces. Um, not that they also don't have their place, but um, you can do work and not get paid, which feels a bit weird to me as a former designer that feels a little at odds. Though I'm pragmatic enough to be like, well, you know, people like it. Some people choose to sell there and let them sell there. Um, for us with Microlancer, we wanted to have a, um, a scenario where um, things were priced up front so it didn't encourage bidding against each other um, and that you had a range that you could price in. And uh, there's a lowest price threshold as well to make sure that things don't go too weirdly crazy um, beyond the, the, what a person can sustain um, so I suppose in terms of pricing, we try to take the view that the freelancer 
um, choose their own prices and it's, it's not a um, it's not a race to the bottom. But I understand also that it's a, um, I understand the freelancer mindset that's like, oh, you know, these services are competing directly with us. But I, I guess I feel like um, for a, a small agency or small consulting business, um, a lot of it is about the value add, the sort of more personal touch, the branding, the reputation, the people focus, meeting in person. That's always a classic um, differentiation point. Um, so I important differentiations. And I, I guess I don't see it as a um, one-size-fits-all market. Mm. It's really interesting to hear you talk about that. My my take on it is like this: if you're like, I would use MicroLancer to get, for example, to get a newsletter sign-up form designed and built for a website. Yeah, but you wouldn't use MicroLancer to learn that that's what you need on your website to capture leads to build a database. That's yeah, why that's you. That's why you talk to a consultant about strategy. Yeah, so, that's true. So consulting for me feels like. Um, you know, there's, I hear a lot of talk too about, you know, kind of, I don't want to use the word elitist, but I hear, a, I hear a lot of work, I hear a lot of talk about, you know, I can't believe you would buy a theme from Theme Forest or Woo Themes and then install it on a client site and charge them X for the thing and you've only spent, you know, 100 bucks on a theme. For me, themes and MicroLancer and those mm. kind of services are like raw materials that we as manufacturers add value to to deliver a solution and that's, that's the value that we're adding and that's why we get paid what we get paid. Totally agree. And there are some clients that just don't have a budget for a custom design. So yeah. it's just good to hear you talk about it from your point of view because um, I just think there's a lot of misunderstanding about where marketplaces fit in the whole kind of ecosystem. Yeah, look, so before, the, before we ran Invado, I was a design freelancer essentially and um, I would often use stock illustrations, stock work in, in what I was doing because it... I guess it meant I could do things faster, a little bit cheaper for the client. Often, um, you're always upfront about. I'll know this is from us. Like, I don't think it's about not being transparent about things. Um, but uh, if the client wanted to go straight to get the stock illustration, make the post themselves, of course, like you don't need me. But in practice, who can do that? And I think it's the same with what you're describing. Like, if you know what you're doing already, you probably don't need a consultant or someone to help you get your WordPress theme. But that's not the market, um, and I like the idea of the value add because there's there's that is a um, a very uh, long definition of uh, of um, how to make money. Like there's because there's a very basic version: do it yourself. There's like I don't know what I'm doing at all. <laughs> Please help me. Yeah. Um, and there's many in between, and I think there's different positionings for different consultants and freelancers um, to suit all those needs. It's such a broad market, right? Like mm. work around the world, especially now that you can do it digitally. It's not even like constrained to your own area. You could be doing work for someone across the world. Mm. Um, there's like a lot of space for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Noah Kagan was at a startup conference in Melbourne recently and someone asked me about competition. He said, you know, the world's a big place. There's lots of people. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true though, isn't it? <laughs> you know? It's a scarcity mentality, I think, isn't it? Like, you know? yeah. um, so let's talk about Ghost for a minute. Um, interviewed John O'Nolan, which, uh, as I'm talking to you, his interview's just gone live, and you guys have been a launch partner of his. You've got some ghost themes up in the marketplace. What I want to talk about, though, is how do you mitigate the risk of something like that failing? So how do you know that something is an idea worth pursuing and it's not just a great big distraction? Yeah, no, fair enough. So I suppose in terms of um, being a launch partner and, and supporting them, for, for us, that bit was just about supporting an open-source idea, um, so that, like we try to, and certainly if anyone's out there with a great idea and starting up a Kickstarter, I'd love to hear from them, um, whether it's in the WordPress world, more generally CMSs. Um, but in terms of actually committing companies' resources to things like setting up a themes category, publishing tutorials, I suppose in this case, Ghost just has the, um, I know that John is the kind of guy who's going to follow through, so that helps. I've actually spoken to him before, and now he's... Um, a lot of people talk a big talk. <laughs> I knew we could actually um, produce something. Yeah, so that was a big, big piece of it. Um, his early ideas and what he was talking about generated a lot of interest. So it seemed like the community was ready for um, another take on blogging. That made sense. And I suppose as a as a company, we are um, 
we try to be quite um, platform agnostic a little bit. So you know, we want to support and teach all kinds of tools and services and sell themes and plugins and whatnot for all kinds of tools and services. Um, so from that perspective, our marketplaces and tuts are set up so that we have many categories of things and they're low investment to get into. Um, so it wasn't too much of an investment. And then we typically see what flies. Um, so far, it seems to be doing quite well. Hmm. The last count, I think we've sold like 40 themes already. And suddenly it's been a few days. That, yeah, yeah. So, by the way, John, if you're watching this, I wasn't saying that Ghost is, you know, probably going to fail. <laughs> I was just, you know, using it as a using it as an example because it's so new and there is a lot of buzz around it. And you know, mm. in business, we're, we're always kind of distracted by the new shiny object. And I was just curious as to, you know, what's the litmus test for um, putting resources into it? And I think you've explained it well. And I think. I think the, John's ability to execute is a big one. Like he, he's a doer, and there's also a lot of buzz around Ghost, and it's going to be really interesting to see how it. To be totally honest, also um, at the end of the day, I'm a guy who likes tech, so <laughs> even I'm a bit like, "Ooh, yeah. Ghost, that looks cool." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw some themes for that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, um, let's do our elevation round. For those of you that don't know, we run a business accelerator program for WordPress freelancers to help them build a profitable, sustainable business as a WordPress consultant. So here's a handful of questions on how freelancers can elevate themselves as a step above the rest. Uh, Quick questions, quick answers. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Uh, Customer service. Going out of your way um, for people about my father-in-law who's a photographer, freelance photographer, always takes a cup of coffee for the clients and like it makes a big difference makes them a bit more memorable nice one what's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers oh give things away for free ah. uh, yeah nothing like a good freebie yeah. people love that stuff including me so yeah because I'm a sucker for my own <laughs> hey I'm actually I'm actually wearing an Invado t-shirt right now <laughs> and that's by the way Ever. <laughs> That's a complete accident. I didn't deliberately put that on because I was interviewing you today. I just grabbed that out of the cupboard. I got that at the San Francisco meetup a couple of weeks ago, the Invado meetup. So, uh, yeah, free stuff works. Um, how do you stop competing on price? I think you have to differentiate in some way. Um, personally, I'd say on like um, positioning yourself as an expert or a, a brand into yourself. Um, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be about customer service or it could be. Uh, when I was in university, my best friend um, was a designer freelancer. Um, and like he wasn't the best designer around, but he was really good at hitting deadlines and really good at being reliable. And over time, that was something people were willing to pay more for. Even though there might have been a better designer out there, at least you knew what you were getting and you knew it would be there. Yeah. So I think it just has to be something you differentiate on and then you push it hard. Yeah, like yeah. a good ACDC album, hey? Just really consistent, you know? <laughs> Nothing new, just really consistent. Um, any tips on writing better proposals? Better proposals? Man, it has been a while since I wrote a proposal. Um Useless. I've got nothing. <laughs> okay. Pass. Uh, favorite tool or system for CRM for customer relationships? Oh, I've never used anything beyond just email, plain old uh, email to remember my contacts and stuff. But it's been a while. I wasn't very technologically awesome when I was freelancing. Um, yeah. Do you know what? I've got one for the proposals. Test. I reckon you can test proposals. Try things out. See which ones are getting you. Better feedback, better leads. Yep, that's good. Lean model. (laughs) Uh, What's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Oh, regular feedback, I think. Regular touch points. Um, I was never very good at this bit, but um, just make sure you're... Yeah, that's actually really that's a really common one. Just regular communication. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. being all on top of them. I think it's actually a lot of clients are just as bad at time management as a lot of freelancers. Yes. And when you get them both together, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's just a project waiting to derail, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right. When you're in the bad time management, sometimes you're almost grateful that they're bad at time management. And you're yeah. like, oh well, he hasn't got back to me, so yeah, I yeah. don't need to do anything. The ball's in their court. Uh, any ideas for getting referrals from your existing clients? 
Um, you definitely want to reward them, I think, is, is one good way. Ask for them is another. Um, like, not everyone thinks to um, stay top of mind. When we used to freelance, we'd send um, around Christmas, we'd send a little box of chocolates to everybody. Just make sure they remembered us, um, especially in a while. Um, yeah, I think there's all sorts of stuff you can do. But asking is a good, good place to start. Be proactive, yeah. What's yeah. the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Uh, um, personally, I think customer service never goes out of style. Like, there's nothing like having just a good relationship with your, your freelancers, um, with your clients, rather. But probably to really differentiate, I think establishing online expertise is a really good way to go these days. You know, having a blog that really positions yourself as a thought leader. Unfortunately, it's not very easy to do. You actually have to have thoughts which are, have leadership qualities. But if you can do that, that's very powerful. Thought leadership is one of those overused <laughs> words in it. You know, everyone's a thought leader. Uh, um, awesome. Let's talk about the future for a second. What's the future for Envato? Um, well, I guess we're... So we've obviously launched MyClans was our big, big projects this year and um, we're very much at the moment looking at how the marketplace and microlancer can work together starting to um, get microlancer to help increase our reach for buyers so like right now in our marketplace you kind of need to know what you're doing to use something like After Effects if you don't know how to use After Effects that whole video hive category is useless to you yeah a copy of After Effects, so I couldn't do anything with them. Um, so starting to build out a little service layer, and it's not for everyone. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of other types of freelancers that work with um, stuff we sell in the marketplaces, but I think that will help us extend a little bit. So we've been uh, we've launched a WordPress customization section on MyClients, for example. It's logical for people who might be buying themes to need that kind of service. So I think that sort of collaboration um, between our products is going to be a big Frustrating for That's really, it's funny you mention that because the, the, the top and the tail of this podcast, mm. the music bed, sorry, the music bed comes from premium beats, sorry, but the video, the video come, the video intro and outro comes from Video Hive. And nice. so I, I had a, uh, a video editor that I found on Odesk ages ago mm. and basically said, look, here's the template from Video Hive. This is what I want at the start. Here's the music. This is, I've got my fiancé to do the voiceover. This is what I want at the end. Put it together. So I can really see this. And mm. Microlancer for me feels like a really easy... Because like, the thing about Odesk and Elance that I don't like is the interface and it's really badly organised and it's really hard to find who you want. Microlancer is really stupid simple to use. So it kind of feels like there's an opportunity to say, well, here's a theme I like. And this is kind of what I'm trying to achieve. They're, they're the digital assets. Can you go and put those digital assets together and provide me a solution? Totally. Yeah, I think there's a big opportunity there. And like, uh, um, the more services we have, the more they sort of fit together. Like Tuts kind of teaches you how to make stuff you can sell in marketplaces and then you can um, work with it on, on MicroLancer, um, which is a nice model for us, like putting our products together. Not everybody has multiple products. Um, and Premium Beats, awesome. Actually, um, before we launched Audio Jungle, I got the idea of having an audio watermark of someone saying your name for Premium Beats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're super cool. I think it's like a son and father duo as well. <coughs> Something. Very they, cool company. They are good. Audio Jungle is very good too. Yes. Um, <laughs> we kick the pants off them, but they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is a kind of a broad question, but you know, I've got to ask it because we're in the WordPress space. What's the future of WordPress look like to you? Oh, the future of WordPress. Small question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, I guess... Crystal I ball, Collis, and tell me the future. <laughs> Growth, I think, is probably the main thing. Um, I think about it's, it's been a while that the trajectory is just staggering. With ThemeForest, we sort of see a meta version of it. Um, so you just sort of watch. Um, we sell Joomla themes and Drupal themes and other platforms, and their growth comparative to WordPress is just not quite there. Even the e-commerce platforms versus, say, WooCommerce, like um, the numbers are quite staggering. So I, I guess I see a lot, a lot more growth. There's still a huge portion of the market um, who don't have a CMS or who um, are on products which uh, are not that kind. I think in the broader market, there's a big push by hosted services, so like Weebly, Wix, and um, to sort of jump one step ahead and go to the customer who doesn't know anything about um, uh, how to set up a website, and, which is kind of the neat thing about WordPress in that it's got that hosted piece as well. I see a, a lot more growth. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they respond to the challenge of more dedicated competitors and like Ghost, like com companies who are 
um, going straight after a single niche, like we're going to do, in this case, blogging or restaurant websites or whatever, really awesomely well. Um, but at the moment, yeah, it's hard to imagine something stopping WordPress in its tracks. Mm. Um, never would have guessed that a blogging platform would be the CMS um, killer. <laughs> it's yeah. funny to think. Yeah. And where will Collis be in three years from now? <laughs> oh, well, um, I guess I'll have a second three-year-old by then. <laughs> Probably at home. No, um, yeah, look, I think there's um, there's a lot more growth here at Envato as well. We're still um, every new challenges. Every year, I'm like, this year is so hard. Last year was really easy. Um, so I'm pretty sure in three years' time, I'll be looking back at this time being like, man, I was a chump of a CEO. <laughs> Thought I had it figured out, but no. Um, yeah, so I guess I, I, for myself, I just see um, there's there's so much to learn. Um, like you know, in, in um, we hire lots of developers. We have like junior developers, mid levels, and seniors. I kind of view myself as just having inched out of the junior CEO category. Right. Like, ooh, still a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, that's the and being curious about wanting to learn that stuff is kind of what helps you get out of bed in the morning and get keep you engaged, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, and the thing about tech is it's constantly changing. So there's just like uh, the next weird disruptive revolution is just around the corner. So as much as it's going to grow, who knows, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, just before we wrap up, I'm going to announce the details of this competition. So Collis and I were chatting before, and we thought it might be interesting because we're all in the WordPress space. What is the – and we have clients, and usually clients call you up with like – they need one little tweak done on their website, and you know it's only going to take you 10 minutes. So how do you invoice them for that? And it actually becomes more of a pain in the ass to do the thing for 10 minutes than it's, but they need it done, and you can't charge them for it, and it's all kind of a bit weird. So what's the most common tweak that your clients ask you to do, which becomes an interruption and a bit of a pain that you don't know how you can charge them for it because it only takes you a few minutes. Leave your comments underneath the video. I'll get Collis to come back and have a look at those responses in a week's time, and we're going to award a $50 voucher for the Envato Marketplace, which you can then spend on themes or Code Canyon or Audio Jungle or Microlancer or whatever you like. Sound good? Excellent. Cool. <laughs> All right. What's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business? Do it. Get in there. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing it. or I've got this neat idea, but actually starting sometimes is the most important bit. Um, and you you never know everything. So you, you just kind of got to get in there and start learning. Great advice. Great advice. Uh, where can people reach out to you, Collis, online? Uh, Twitter, email, collisinvited.com. Um, send me an email. It takes me a while to respond sometimes, but I get them all. <laughs> cool. Awesome. And finally, who would you like me to try and interview for this podcast and why? Well, I was totally going to say John O'Nolan, but turns out you published an interview with him today. Um, look, I reckon you should get one of our theme park authors. There's 12 guys who've, uh, who've hit more than a million dollars. Our top guy is making 150 k a month from a single theme. Seems like there must be an interview in there. Wow. It's actually two guys, but that's a, one's that's... in Pakistan, one's in Florida, I think. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'll, uh, I'll, so, who, so who are they? Um, so our top guy is Theme Fusion, uh, and it's two guys, Mohammed Salim. Yep. Mohammed. Theme Fusion. Oh, what is his last name? I forget. Oh, um, Theme Fusion, yes. Yep. Uh, we profiled them. Mohammed Harris. Oh, anyways. Don't watch this, Mohammed, if you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> They're great, Theme Fusion, but there's heaps of them that, uh, that that hit over a million dollars. Um, they're really wonderful. Happy to connect you guys. Cool. Um, there's also some great guys making some mad money in WordPress plugins. I think our record in a month for a WordPress plugin guy is 30, 40K in a month. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's kind of staggering. That's great. Well, I'm coming to get you elite authors, so look out. Collis has dobbed you in. I'm on your tail. Hey, Collis, <laughs> thank you very much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. I really appreciate it, and uh, I wish you all the best for Envato and all the best for your newborn, which is due in... <laughs> in six weeks. Six weeks. Wow. <laughs> so awesome, man. Just in time for Christmas, eh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us and uh, all, the, all the best for the future. Oh, thank you.